0: Welcome back, everybody. Hope you are doing well and happy Tuesday. Some of you have been asking about my mushroom maca elixir that I've been making. You probably saw me using the maca milk, which is this amazing product for North American herb and spice. And maca, as some of you know, is really amazing for hormonal health. And it's got a high source of minerals and vitamins. It's got some plant sterols in there. And it's really great for supporting a healthy hormone response. So I've been using the maca milk and basically it's a blend of maca with some chaga and some yacon root. And it really is quite delicious. And I just mix it into some maybe like warmed coconut milk or almond milk and might throw in like some ghee. And sometimes I might throw in like a little bit of cacao powder or carob powder and maybe like a drop of peppermint essential oil. And then I will also throw in the Myco 10, a scoop of the Myco 10 product, which is the mushroom blend from Canprev. So love that product. Amazing for supporting your immune system and kind of just mix it all together into elixir, throw it into my blender and whip it up. And it really is delicious. So maca is, like I said, really amazing for a healthy hormone response. And if you are looking to try the maca milk, head on over to northamericanherbandspice.com. You guys can use the coupon code HOLISTIC15 to save 15% off any of the products that they have on their website. And they've got some amazing products there that I just love and I'm basically working my way through all of their products. I also got the maca tincture as well which just is a stronger dose basically of maca. And um, you can save 15% off that product too. And there's nothing wrong with using both of them. The maca milk will have a little bit of a lower dose and then the tincture is actually just a little bit more potent. Um, but it's both really great ways to get your maca. And the maca tincture has a little bit of yacon syrup in there too. So it doesn't taste terrible. Um, it actually has a bit of a little sweet taste, which is really great. And the maca milk specifically is really great for energy, for healthy metabolism. It's great for both men and women's health. And then it's also anti-aging as well, which is a really uh, awesome benefit. And there's lots of amino acids in there, which is really great, and some trace minerals. So the full ingredient list of the maca milk, there's organic wild maca root powder, wild organic black chaga mushroom, vanilla powder, organic yakon, and Ceylon cinnamon powder, which is delicious. So Try it out, and if you guys are going to, going to make elixirs with it, I would love to see what you're making. Share with share them with me over on Instagram at holistic wellness foodie. All right, so today's episode, we are chatting with Maria Claps and we dive into estrogen dominance, but specifically how estrogen dominance impacts women in their mid to late 40s and beyond and how there really is this transition between estrogen dominance to estrogen absence when estrogen is pretty much gone and you know how can we best make that transition as we age from this dominance to more of this absence with our estrogen and so lots to talk about in today's episode it's really informational As always, and I really hope you guys are going to take a lot of value and strategies from it. We talk about what estrogen dominance is and how it changes in women as they age. We talk about ovulation. We talk about estrogen in general and how and when it starts to drop off and the different ages that can start to happen at and the different symptoms and problems that can arise with low estrogen. We also dive into bioidentical hormone replacement therapy and when that might be a benefit to you and something to consider. We talk about Dutch testing. So much is covered in today's episode. I know you guys are really going to love it. So Maria Klaps is a certified health coach, functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner, and mom to four grown boys. After receiving inadequate health care that did nothing to address her perimenopausal problems, she enrolled in the Institute for Integrative Nutrition in order to help herself. After that, she pursued several hormone centric trainings, including Dr. Sarah Gottfried's Practitioner Hormone Training Program, the Functional Diagnostic Nutrition Program, and she also has been mentored by hormone scholar and scientist Dr. Lindsay Bergson. Maria helps women all over the world as a menopause and perimenopause mentor via her Thrive Over 45 program. She also teaches practitioners how to help women over 40 with their unique hormonal needs, via her Midlife Hormone Mastery Certification Program. When she's not working with clients, she can be found trekking through Italy, at farmer's markets locally, or in the kitchen creating recipes. You can find Maria over on Instagram at Maria and also her website, mariaclops.com. So let's dive into our episode. Really hope you guys enjoy it. Hi, Maria. Welcome back to the podcast. Really excited to have you here today. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Samantha.
1: Yeah, I know. It's my second time. I'm really honored to be here again.
0: Oh, I'm so, so grateful to have you back. I know we're going to dive into so much juicy info, but before we do, just remind our audience about who you are and what you do.
1: Sure, so I am a hormone health coach and a functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner. And my passion really is working with women like between the ages of say 40 and about 65, so midlife women, helping them to balance. And in the case of like the stage of women that I work with, their stage of life, really restore lost hormones and just work on the nutrition and their mindset. But mostly really it's about Hormone balance in midlife is the population of women that I'm absolutely passionate about working with.
0: That's amazing. So I know that a topic we are going to focus on today, something that came up while we were chatting was to focus on estrogen dominance, but specifically how estrogen dominance changes once a woman hits a certain age. So I love this topic and I think it's so important to dive into, but before we do that, can you first explain what estrogen dominance is?
1: Oh sure. So I am starting to move away from that, that terminology. Yes, it exists, but I feel like it actually makes women kind of fearful of estrogen and it's a little bit misleading. But what it means is that estrogen is out of balance with progesterone. So so essentially it tends to be like a progesterone deficiency. Right. Not so, so we can have you know we can have estrogen dominance that presents itself in several ways. So, you know, high estrogen with normal progesterone. We can have normal estrogen with low progesterone. Um, we can have low estrogen and even lower progesterone. So it's just like a it's an imbalance of estrogen to progesterone.
0: Okay, got it. So let's dive in and really chat about and just understand like how does this condition start to change for women as they age.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. I'm pretty passionate about that because you know there's a there's a good lot of talk out there about estrogen dominance in the blogosphere and functional medicine and Instagram and it definitely exists and and I think you know living in our toxic world and you know coming in contact with xenoestrogens, foreign estrogens from metals and plastics. Uh, and contaminated seafood and things like that—it it definitely exists. But um, the problem I have with the terminology and the concept is women fearing their own estrogen. Okay? Right. So yeah. we we know that hormones change at some point in the forties. Um, for most women, it's the forties. And realize when I speak that this is a this is like general information. It may not apply specifically. Some women, you know, you know, are not estrogen deficient until like their 50s. Some some start, you know, changing with their hormones in the early 40s. I started changing about 42, 43. But so how uh, estrogen dominance works is that like we can be estrogen dominant 20s, 30s, whether it's due to the environment or due to just like not having enough progesterone. But then at some point, Samantha, things change. So I say women go from estrogen dominance or just basically a deficiency of progesterone to estrogen absence. It does happen along the way. And I think that's when women are in that transition from having like normal, predictable, reliable amounts of estrogen and progesterone on a month to month basis when they're ovulating regularly. Again, this is twenties, thirties, perhaps early forties. And at some point there's a pretty major shift. And sometimes we don't always know that that shift has occurred. And we keep on thinking, okay, we're estrogen dominant. And while that still might be true, the clincher and where it changes is that you may still be estrogen dominant, like not have enough progesterone, but you've got lower levels of estradiol. Your estradiol is in decline. So, that is the big change that I see with women at some point in their
0: 40s. And that comes with symptoms and problems. Right. And that's where I was going to go next. Let's dive into what those symptoms and problems might look like.
1: Oh, yeah. Okay. So, I mean, you just have some months where you might be fine estrogen wise, and then some months where you're not. And I just like want to back this up. And so, we, we all, we, like a lot of us in the holistic uh, wellness field, know that you know, we, we make progesterone when we ovulate. And yes, this is in fact true. Right. But what happens is um, somewhere in the mid-cycle, like right prior to ovulation, we get this nice, robust estradiol peak, which actually drives a luteinizing hormone, and that luteinizing hormone actually drives ovulation. So we actually need estrogen to be at a good robust amount about day, figure day 12, 13, like that in the cycle to actually make, to ovulate. And then when we ovulate, we make progesterone. So when women are not getting that uh, peak of estradiol in the mid cycle, that um, they're not ovulating and they're not getting the progesterone. So then what you have when you get into the luteal phase is, you know, you, you just don't have enough progesterone because you didn't ovulate. So I like to back it up as to what happens right prior to ovulation, because it really takes ovulation actually takes estrogen as well. Right. Yeah. So that is the big change. And that's where that lower circulating level of estradiol at some point, usually 40s comes in. And did you, I'm sorry, I got, I wanted to kind of um, pre-seed the discussion. Did you say some of the symptoms that?
0: Yeah, 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 absolutely. No, I love that you went there, but yeah, let's dive into the symptoms and the real problems that women are going to start experiencing.
1: Right. So, okay. So the symptoms of uh, the low estrogen or lower than normal, like say lower than they had in their twenties, thirties, early forties, for the most part, is going to be things like vaginal dryness. It's going to be hot flashes. Not all women get these things, but certainly hot flashes are a symptom of perimenopause and perimenopause or the menopausal transition for like about 80% of women. And then a lot, what we have is the mood issues. So a lot of us know the anxiety as a consequence of lowered progesterone, and this is absolutely true. But then we also have low mood, and issues around lower circulating levels of estradiol. And that's because you know a lot of us think estrogen and estradiol is our main primary female estrogen. A lot of us see estrogen as you know, secondary sex characteristics and makes girls into women, breasts and hips. But estrogen has so many functions in the body, like it interfaces with our immune system. And it actually kind of interfaces with our neurotransmitters. So when estrogen is low, serotonin is low. It actually pulls down serotonin. Serotonin is our happy hormone. So that's why you've got women in perimenopause feeling like, and menopause feeling like, I don't want to, I, I, I isolate myself. Um, I don't feel like, you know, going out to parties and things anymore and going out with my girlfriends. It's like, they become very self isolating. It's just that there's, there's like not a lot of fun in life anymore. And, you know, we might argue, Oh, well, that's just aging. Well, not really. It's due to that low estrogen pulling down that serotonin, that, that like lack of joy and happy hormone, happy
0: neuro, neurochemical. Right. I'm sure there's a lot of women listening to this that are like, Oh my God, I can totally relate. So, um, which is helpful you know this is why we we have you here so we can dive into this and really bring this to light so why might estrogen start to decline earlier and this is something and i'm sure maybe you've noticed in your practice too like i was noticing a lot of women when i was doing their dutch test even in their mid 20s to mid 30s like their estrogen was super low
1: yeah that's i i know it's quite the fascinating topic i know we often think of low estrogen as something that you know, only starts to hit maybe mid forties or so early to mid forties, fifties for sure. Right. Pretty low estrogen. But yeah, I have been seeing that. I don't work with that population as much, but I've been reading about that. Um, It could, it can be a a problem in the twenties and thirties. And, um, I think that this is a little bit beyond my scope, but I, I learned this from one of my mentors is that it's a problem with aromatization and it was actually Dr. Felice Gersh that taught me that PCOS is actually mild estrogen deficiency, which is a, okay. So we, you know, PCOS right. common endocrine disorder in, in women of childbearing age, but also another thing, Samantha, is that milestones of reproductive life tend to be changing. Why? is So in other words, Girls are getting their periods earlier. Women are perhaps starting perimenopause earlier. Menopause is shifting earlier. Why is this? It could be just the toxicity of of life in the 21st century and the fact that chemicals, unfortunately, absolutely can disrupt our hormone receptors and can kind of just confuse and screw up our endocrine system. So I think that's a big part of it, yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I would, I would definitely agree with that. You know, I even see it in like my nieces, like just their, their development. I'm just like, oh my God, it's, it's happening so fast and it's happening so early. I see. And yeah. 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 And I'm sure that's, that's based on, you know, numerous things, like you said, and different triggers from lifestyle and nutrition and toxins and whatnot. So Going back to estrogen dominance, you know what is the best way, or or how can we best make the transition from estrogen dominance to what you said was estrogen absence?
1: Yeah, no, that's a great question. So, um, you know, I am actually a big fan of doing all of the lifestyle things. So that's you know working on adrenal gland health because we do fall back. On our adrenal glands as we move into menopause and that menopausal transition you know lifestyle for decades tends to create a, d- a degree of dysfunction um, but I'm also a really a huge fan of women replacing lost hormones um, most women so that would be bioidentical hormone replacement therapy most women can do that safely now, I can only educate I educate women on this and then they have to find a provider who can, who can do that for them, but um, you know, it's osteoporosis, heart disease, insulin resistance, these things all become so common when we have no estrogen left. And you know, Samantha, we have no problem giving thyroid hormone to people who are hypothyroid or Hashimoto's, we have no problem right. insulin to diabetics, right? Um, we have no problem using like steroids and prednisone and Cortef for people that need it for for their adrenal glands or maybe autoimmune adrenal, you know, adrenal issues. Right. But all of a sudden, like a woman becomes menopausal, I'm like, oh no, you cannot do estrogen. <laughs> I'm like, no, that's not true. It's really incredibly helpful. It's not a standalone by any means. You still have to. Do all of the good supports work on the gut and eat right and get sleep and get sunshine? But um, there's just only so far those things can
0: take you once you're fully menopausal, right? For sure. Yeah, I love that we're going here because that was a question that I had for you about hormone replacement, uh, replacement therapy and what really what women really need to take into consideration.
1: Oh, okay. In terms of like how how to decide on
0: on? Yeah, I mean. You know, obviously, testing is going to be really important here. And, you know, I've worked with women who are doing hormone like bioidenticals, but they're not getting, you know, they're only seeing their doctor maybe like every six to eight months. And I think that maybe that's too long of a time where they need to be maybe more on top of their testing and dosing, at least initially. So I would just love your input in terms of what is really the right strategy here and what does that kind of look like? Yeah. Sure.
1: So women, this is great. I dive into this really deeply in my programs and with women one on one. But basically, I always say that women have to obviously get a licensed prescriber to do this. So hormone balance is not a DIY job, even though in the US progesterone cream is available over the counter. And in Canada, I think you can import it for personal use. Not 100% sure about that. I think you would know.
0: Yeah, well, there's there's actually a lot of practitioners who do bioidenticals here. Uh, so yeah, naturopaths right. and and some other practitioners. Yeah, yeah, right.
1: But so so but I uh, what I wanted to say is because it's o- OTC in the U.S., um, a lot, lot of women like try to do progesterone themselves. I'm so not a fan of that at all. I think women need to be working with a, uh, you know, hormone knowledgeable practitioner. Yeah. Um, but you know, before they even choose a practitioner, they have to have you know a little bit of hormone literacy, a little bit of uh hormone therapy literacy, because there are so many different ways to go about it. Um, there's so many different preparations. There's you know, rhythmic dosing, um, where you actually kind of recreate a period. If you have a uterus, after menopause, there's um, plenty of doctors who think that that's a great idea, even though it's controversial, or there's, um, there's static dosing, um, and there's so many different preparations. There's patches, pills, injections, troches, drops. So um, the important thing to remember is that it, it's going to take some time. Um, it's not a one-size-fits-all. If your doctor, you know, most women in their say first year of hormone therapy need to be in close communication with their practitioner. And need to be testing and tweaking to find the right dose. Like some women may not need as much. Some women need a lot more estrogen. Um, some women, if they, you know, if they decide to do creams, may work for them. Kind of dispen- It depends on like their skin. Are they absorbing? So, so that first year can be a bit of a challenge, but it's really worth it. And um, you know, I think that like women need to be in touch with their, you know, licensed prescriber probably three to four times in a year. So you're talking like every um, every three or four months and, and need to be testing to make sure that levels are accurate and then monitoring of symptoms as well. So it's just knowing, like getting an idea, having that hormone literacy, deciding like what do I want to do? Uh, what do I think I want to do? This way, like when you go into your doctor or to a different doctor, who can work with you you have an idea of what you want because if you just go to the the doctor with no idea of what you want you're going to get their version and it may or may not work so
0: right Right. And so I know that you do the Dutch test in your practice. And I mean, we we are both such huge fans of that test. But if somebody goes to their medical doctor, they have no idea what the Dutch test is. So they they look at you like you have three heads. And so they typically, they might do saliva testing, but for the most part, they're doing blood testing. So do you feel like that testing is sufficient enough for, for a woman to decide to do hormone replacement or not?
1: Yeah. So absolutely blood is the language of conventional physicians and functional physicians as well. And I do think it's enough to get started. Absolutely. What, um, I really like the Dutch test for is let's say you've been on hormones for three or six months or a year. Um, and then you want to test and see how those hormones are behaving in the body. That's really where I like, um, where I like the Dutch test, but yes, starting out with blood testing is perfectly fine.
0: Okay, that's awesome. So good to know that. I'm sure that was on a lot of women's minds. Oh, sure. Um, and um, in terms of bioidenticals, you know, can you dive into the difference between hormone replacement therapy and bioidenticals? Because I think this is also an area of confusion for so many women.
1: Yeah, 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 no problem. I, I would love to. So, um, hormone replacement therapy, and I, I typically use the words HRT or BHRT. And to me, I use those interchangeably. So you've got bioidentical hormones. So they come from plants, either yam or soy, but it is not yam cream. So if anyone sees yam cream, that is not a bioidentical hormone. It has, so there's this component, I think it's diosgenin, D-I-O-S-G-E-N-I-N. That's the actual component in the plant that has to be taken to a laboratory, basically, and then they do something to make it the actual body identical, like it's uh, the same thing, you know, as what we produce, which I find that
0: fascinating. Yeah, super fascinating.
1: Plants that literally through, you know, through laboratory synthesis, so you you know, there's a process that it goes through, um, can be the same molecular structure as what our ovaries produce. Okay, it's I believe it's Mexican yam and soy. Okay, so and again, you will sometimes see something that says yam cream for the relief of menopausal symptoms or, or whatever. That right. is not the same thing. So we kind of call that the yam scam.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I haven't heard that one before.
1: <laughs> okay, so then that is bioidentical hormones. Now here's where people get a little bit mixed up people think bioidentical hormones is creams or is from a compounding pharmacy. And all compounding pharmacy means is it's made specific for you based on the doctor's instructions. And all pharmacists at one point, like I think it was before World War II, were compounding pharmacists. So they're actually really skilled pharmacists. Right. Okay. But that's not true. Okay. So I said people think that bioidentical hormones automatically means compounded hormones. Mm -hmm. Not true. So we have some some FDA-approved hormones that are made by big pharmaceutical companies that are bioidentical. So we've got like the patch, which has bioidentical estradiol in it. It's not a compounded hormone, but it's still a bioidentical hormone. And then we've got like oral progesterone, typically in the form of prometrium. That's a bioidentical hormone. It's an FDA-approved bioidentical hormone. Um, So... There's what that's a big misconception there. Women think, oh, if it's bioidentical, it's like a compounded cream that I get, you know, that my doctor prescribes for me, but it's just a cream. No, bioidentical hormones come in in many different forms. But then you've got uh, then you've got synthetic hormones, which are very similar to your own natural hormones, but there's like one little tweak, and that tweak is so that a pharmaceutical company can actually patent it. Because bioidentical hormones cannot be patented, so what's really interesting is I did say like the patch, which was a uh, a bioidentical hormone made by a pharmaceutical company. The what's actually patented with the patch, like so, a, a name of the patch is the Vivell Dot, is the delivery system. It's not the actual hormone. So um, with say your synthetic hormones, um, you've got. Um, it's very similar to our hormones, but believe it or not, do you know where it comes from? Horses. Horses. Yeah. Horses urine. Horses urine, which is Mm -hmm. so sad when you think, I mean, I've heard that the horses are kept in factory uh, conditions and um, it's just, just not good. And you know, it's, it's got, so that's called Premarin or conjugated equine estrogen. And again, it's similar to our human estrogen, but um, it's, got more estrone in it. And estrone is not really the estrogen that you're looking for hormone balance. You know, we make some, um, but it's, it, you don't really want a lot of estrone because it signals uh, too many growth signals in the body. Um, and yeah, so that's really like the main difference. And then we have synthetic progesterone, which are called progestins. And those are actually really Pretty harmful in most cases. They have they come with the most side effects of any hormone therapy, are the synthetic progestins.
0: Right. Yeah, I hear a lot about those. I've had a lot of clients who've had troubles with those, um, and a lot of symptoms as well as I'm sure you've probably experienced with your clients too. So, with progesterone cream, just going back to the yam scam, because you know you mentioned like basically you can just go and buy this over the counter. What might be the problem with that because I see it a lot. It's just women going to a health food store, they hear how you can just buy yam cream, rub it on and then you're good to go, but that's obviously not the full picture. So what do women need to know about that?
1: Oh, sure. So progesterone definitely has its place in, you know, hormone balance regimen again. So progesterone cream is over the counter in the US and a lot of women do go buy it. I don't recommend it. I think you should always be working with a, a licensed you know, physician, nurse practitioner who can help you. So the problem is, is that, so let me back up. For some women, just using progesterone can absolutely help. Um, but again, as you age and you lose, um, you lower in estrogen, you're, you've got lower circulating levels of estradiol your progesterone doesn't work as good. So I have so many clients who started using progesterone and then, oh, it worked for three months, it worked for six months, it worked for a year, it's not working anymore, and they have symptoms which they don't realize are associated with using too much progesterone cream. But the reason why progesterone cream stops working is because you need a receptor for progesterone. The way you get a receptor for progesterone is through estradiol. So estrogen creates progesterone receptors. So now you've got, again, so you've got a 48 year old woman with wonky periods and she's not sleeping. And, you know, she maybe looked at a big Facebook group where wide swaths of women are using progesterone cream saying it works for everything and it cured their PMS and what have you. And again, I never put down anyone's personal experience. If it works for you, fine. I'm not saying it never works. I'm just saying typically, it stops working. And that's because as you age, what we started the podcast with, right, is your estradiol, your estrogen starts to get low. And if you don't have enough estrogen, progesterone cream it does not have a receptor to go into. And when progesterone cream doesn't have a, a receptor to go into, it goes down the mineral corticoid pathway, which can create bloating, which can create weight gain. <laughs> so progesterone can actually start to create problems, not like super life-threatening problems, but um, definitely can be moody, weight gain, bloating, um, indigestion, things like that.
0: Right. Okay. So going on this topic of weight gain, because this is the thing that I'm sure you also hear all the time, I hear it all the time is, I hit menopause, I gained 20 pounds, I can't lose this weight. It seems to be the common theme as women hit their late 40s, early 50s. So for that woman who is struggling with this current scenario, you know, what are your tips and strategies that she may need to implement to start really getting a handle on her weight?
1: Yeah, no, that's a great question. And definitely, you know, hormone balance is is part of the root cause It's certainly not everything. Hormone imbalance that is Obviously thyroid plays a small role and your sex hormones in balance will make for much easier weight loss. But my number one tip for women that are in that menopausal transition is to stop eating so many carbohydrates. And I feel like I need to to clarify this. I'm not anti-carb, I am low carb. I think you are too, right? Yeah. Especially important as we move into menopause because what happens is without Robust levels of estrogen, we simply cannot. So, glucose metabolism is altered, and insulin resistance is just easier to come by when women don't have any estrogen left. And what do we know? What happens when we get insulin resistant? It just packs on the pounds. Mm -hmm. So, what that means is you simply do not have the metabolic bandwidth with age to be eating copious amounts of carbohydrates. It sucks, but it's true.
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So then, you know, in terms of nutrition and diet, what overall are your recommendations?
1: I don't really follow macros and percentages much, but I believe if you eat a hundred or just like 150 or less grams of carbs per day, that's considered low carb. I think for like women that are in that menopausal transition, of course, it'll be different for everyone, but I think they need to like, look at perhaps even having that. Um, And for some women, it's going to be even lower.
0: I was going to say 150 is pretty, pretty decent. Yeah.
1: I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, That's a lot more than I, for me personally, than I would need. Yeah.
1: Me too. No, I try on most days to say like between 50 and 75. And I mean, it's not anywhere near keto. I'm like, I'm not not necessarily recommending that, but so it's gonna, it's definitely gonna be dropping the carbohydrates. Like you know, I, I discovered that even the quote unquote healthier carbs, that like we love the sweet potatoes, um, for me it's like doesn't work anymore. So I need to keep my carbohydrates more like you know broccoli and arugula and and mushrooms and you know onions and peppers and things like that, um, not sweet potatoes and winter squash. Not saying I never have it, but I rarely have it anymore. Um, so, you know, dropping carbohydrates, super important, exercising according to adrenal health and, you know, not burning yourself out. Like not, you know, if you're not sleeping, you don't want to be exercising like at five in the morning after sleeping for like five broken hours per night or something like that. So just making sure that you are exercising according to your adrenal health capacity. And, you know, we know this from the Dutch test easily. It's very good for recommending the type of exercise a woman should do.
0: I love that you went there because so many women have the idea that they have to just work out harder and that's, what's going to be the solution. And it's not. (laughs) So I can definitely speak from personal experience of just having some adrenal dysfunction and going to orange theory classes. Oh Oh, my God. I've done that too. (laughs) Oh my God. I would come home and fall asleep on the couch. After those classes and I was like two months in I was like this I can't do this anymore
1: And most of them are in addition to that heavy-duty exercise Are like restricting calories, right? Which is yeah, just not good puts your body into fight-or-flight mode and You know, you're probably going to start storing fat as well You know, I if if I felt I had the adrenal function, I would love to do orange theory, but I i'm personally not there I mean some people if you are Um, you know, I'm not against intense exercise. I just think we have to be mindful. Absolutely. And make sure we get some restorative exercise in there.
0: Yes, absolutely. I always recommend like do something that's parasympathetic, even if it's just walking or yoga or Pilates. Um, I think it's just, just like a lot of women need to get out of that mindset that like it has to be hardcore and intense in order for it to make a difference. And that's not right. the case. You have to burn something. <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. So you spoke about adrenal health and especially with testing, that this is something that you can really look into. I know that, with the Dutch test, it's really great to look at adrenal function and cortisol and whatnot. So let's talk about testing, because I know you use it a lot in your practice. And so specifically for women over 40, you know, what is it that you're looking for when testing hormones?
1: Sure. So for um, women in the menopausal transition, I like to say, well, for really all women, to be perfectly honest with you, whether you're 18 or Or 55. I want to look at estrogen metabolism. You know, whether you whether you're making your own estrogen prior to menopause or afterwards, whether you're taking estrogen, what the body does with that estrogen is really of paramount importance. And seeing, you know, only can see that in urine, and we can see it easily in the Dutch test. And you know, what I love about that is like unlike your like blood tests that you get from the doctor, and you have slightly high liver enzymes, and maybe to their credit, they're like. Uh we'll just watch that. Um, maybe that's also because it's not a pharmaceutical for that yet that they say that. But <laughs> right, <laughs> right. But, but like, I know I've seen that before. Like, we'll just watch that. But you know, with the estrogen metabolism. So estrogen metabolism, and you know, estrogen metabolism. So we spoke about estrogen dominance, and that is you know, that, that relative progesterone deficiency. Some women can feel estrogen
0: dominant symptoms when they have poor metabolite distribution. Right. Okay. Can you break that down a little bit more for someone who's sure. like, what does she mean by metabolite? Yeah, yeah <laughs> that's
1: okay. So your estradiol and your estrone creates two hydroxy, four hydroxy and 16 hydroxy metabolites. 2-hydroxy are are relatively not proliferative. So we think of estrogen as a proliferative hormone. It's like the the hormone that builds the lining of the uterus, right? Mm -hmm. So when we have too much proliferation in the body, that's not good. So the 2-metabolite is relatively not proliferative. The 4 and the 16, that's just their names, where they sit, I think, at the I don't know if it's a ca- carbon or hydrogen atom on the molecule, but the four and the 16 are more proliferative. So right. four is way more proliferative. 16 is proliferative. 16 is a little bit nuanced. Six, you know, 16 hydroxy estrogen, it, it maintains bone, but too much is not good. So we can see exact amounts of how much two estrogen we have. That's good. That's good estrogen right. to make matter simple. How much four do we have? That's not good estrogen. We'll never have zero, but we don't want too much. How much sixteen do we have? Do we have enough to maintain bone? Okay, good. Um, do we have a little bit too much? Um, okay. Well, we see those things, and then we can set about changing them. We can really influence those metabolic pathways with very targeted supplementation and um, food. You know, different foods, and then we um, can we can retest in like. Even three to six months and see that those things have changed. Right, mean, not all women have the ability to retest, but if they have really very very high 4 estrogen, which is the very highly proliferative type of estrogen, we we absolutely should retest that. So that's like to me, that's that is the reason why all women should do a Dutch test is to see what their body is doing with their estrogen. Again, whether you you make estrogen in your younger years. And especially for postmenopausal women that are taking estrogen, it's super important to do a Dutch test. So I would say that's probably my top reason for doing, for recommending the Dutch test for women. I mean, there are many others. We can talk about those or you can say what your top reason is, but I love to see what the metabolites are doing
0: that's the same with me like that's the number one thing i look at is the metabolites and it's like okay do we need to help support this 2 hydroxy do we need to detox this 4 hydroxy like what does this look like yeah that's that's super important and it's the number one reason why i think women should do a dutch test even if you know you're not really having symptoms if you have a regular cycle like regardless i think it's so important to have that data so that you can really know cuz yeah that's the best part about the test
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. And then we get a few extra, I mean, we great tests for the adrenals and then we get a few extra things like we get to see your B12 and B6. Like it's the B6 is the woman's vitamin. And so it's so many good things about it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I would totally agree. So Going back to lifestyle and nutrition and whatnot, you know, some of these sort of triggers, I guess you could say, you know, there's going to be environmental triggers, diet triggers, lifestyle triggers in terms of maybe stress or something like that. You know, what are things that women should be really conscious of, especially as we start to age. Because as we know, you know, how we were and the things we did in our 20s is no longer supporting us as we start to hit our our mid to late 40s. So what, you know, what is it that we need to be conscious of from a nutrition standpoint, lifestyle standpoint, perhaps environmental toxin standpoint? What does that kind of look like?
1: No, I think we need to live um, mindful daily detox lives. Um, and that's because we do live at just a, more of a toxic time. So, you know, for some of us that could be a little bit more aggressive, like, you know, taking, you know, a toxin binder. I actually spoke to one medical doctor who said he will probably be taking binders for the rest of his life. But for some of us, <laughs> really, um, I'm not, I, not amazing. I was really surprised. He's a really great guy. You know, he's super helpful. Um, but for some of us, it's going to mean, you know, just storing things in glass, and you know getting a water filter and you know not using um teflon pans and you know buying organic so i think you know the more we can do that the better on this like not having synthetic carpeting and you know using low voc paint you know if if we can like i think these these things really do add up and you know using um non-toxic body care i know for me um I made the switch to just like a really natural um, hair color option that I'm, I'm pretty happy with. And it took me it took me like years to do that. And I'm not saying I'll never go to the salon again. <laughs> so I still like that. But, um, you know, the more you can do and the more that you see it as I get to do this and this is great and you know, not stress yourself out like, oh, I have to do this, the more you can see this as just this you know, pleasurable journey of working on your health, the better your, you know, your attitude and, and, you, you know, your nervous system is going to be about it. So I, I don't want to like keep on this. Well, you have to do these things, do them as you can. I mean, I knew about water filters for, for years, years and years. And in just one year, I was like, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to get a plumber. We're going to have it called. And you know, I mean, to be perfectly honest with you, I still use Teflon, but I'm just like really careful. And I know I shouldn't, but I just haven't, I I just haven't found a really suitable replacement yet. So.
0: Right. And, and I totally get it. I mean, it is one thing at a time, right? Like, especially with like makeup and body care, like I don't expect women to go just dump everything. It's like, go ahead and use what you have. And then on your next purchase, the great thing is that nowadays there's so many amazing companies. So there's a lot of options, which is really, really wonderful.
1: Yeah. Now I hear you. It's, it's fantastic. It's, it's a, it's both a challenging time to be alive, but also a great time to be alive.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I would agree. Well, this has all been really awesome. And before I let you go, I would love to dive into your personal health and wellness routine and what that currently looks like for you.
1: Oh, sure. So, okay. Like I wake up in the morning and, um, I grab my phone right away, (laughs) (laughs) but, but here's my new thing, um, is I, and I can only do this in the spring and summer. And I, I think being in Canada, you can probably relate. Um, I get literally grab it, grab a cup of tea and sit out in the sunlight almost like within 10 minutes of waking up. Yeah. I just recently started doing that because the weather is changing and I feel like I can work on my adrenal health so much better in the spring and summer. Um, But so I do, yeah, exactly. So I I get up, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm off of coffee, but I, I only like, I cycle on and off of it. I don't think it's bad. So having a nice cup of tea in the morning. Um, And then another thing that I do for my own personal health is I get a lot of walking in um, even more so now, but even prior to what's going on in the world, I um, always walked a lot, and that's just that parasympathetic calming. Um, I, you know, eat low carb, um, you know, most days of the week, and um, I personally use bioidentical hormone replacement therapy not for symptom management. I never actually had hot flashes. Only I use it because I know it's a it's a health improvement health and longevity strategy. Um, and then, you know, just really having great relationships is is important to me as well, because that's, you know, super important being in community and, um, you know, just having good relationships is important because you can, you know, eat all of the grass fed beef in the world. But if you don't have good relationships, um, you're perhaps not as healthy as you could be.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I remember one of my teachers many years ago said to me, you can eat. What's the saying? She's like, you could either have McDonald's with a friend or a salad with an enemy. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, it's it's so true. Not that I'm recommending people go eat McDonald's, but yeah. it's the company you keep, right? Oh, yeah. Really yeah. Awesome. And then, what about like your nighttime routine and sleep? What does that look like?
1: Yeah. So I love to do an Epsom salt bath, and I and I do those fairly frequently. I would say a couple times a week. And I get off screens about two, like small screens, about two hours before bedtime. But I do sometimes watch, you know, something with my husband at night. So I personally don't think that that's really that bad because I'm so much further back from the TV. But what we don't want to be doing is like looking into our phone at night. I, you know, try to stop eating a good two to three hours before bedtime. That's important as well. So I, I like to get like a nice approximately 13 hour fast between dinner and breakfast the next day. And
0: that's about it.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's that awesome. Nice well, that sounds fantastic. Pretty, pretty, simple, pretty straightforward. Yeah. It sounds really, really great. Well, thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us today. Where can our audience find you?
1: So I'm pretty active on Instagram and I like to think I have a very education forward account. You
0: I do. It is fantastic. Oh,
1: thank you. Um, so that's Maria underscore C underscore wellness. And I actually just so it's so funny that you asked me about progesterone. I literally just wrote, I took like four hours to write a, a blog post on progesterone cream and why it stops working and what the metabolic effects of using too much progesterone is. So people can go to my, my website. That's mariaclaps.com.
0: Amazing. Wonderful. Well, we will have all of this in the show notes so everyone can go and grab it there. And thanks again. I'm sure that we'll have you back for a third time because there's always I'm so much like to chat about. Yourself
1: quite an honor. Thank you so
0: much. Awesome. My pleasure. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in today. I really hope you enjoyed our episode with Maria. Be sure to follow her over on Instagram at Maria Claps and head on over to her website, mariaclaps.com. She's got tons of information over on her, on her Instagram and it's super educational. You guys will really, really love it there. And lots of great articles and blog posts over on her website as well. And I would love it if you can share today's episode with a friend or family member, anybody that can really benefit from today's information and any episode. really that will benefit people. We want to really reach and support more women. And I know during this time quarantine, we're at home. Lots of people are diving into podcasts and I'm really hoping that you guys are putting your health and your wellness first and that our podcast is really helping to support you in that way. So thanks everyone for tuning in. I will chat with you all next week. If you want to grab today's show notes, head on over to the website at holisticwellness.ca chat with you all really soon.